Save the date for the 12th of September. Join our webinar on digital transformation in manufacturing. We are exploring how IoT, AI and smart factories are reshaping our sector. Hear from industry leaders like Airbus, Rolls-Royce and Heriot Watt University. This is a must attend for professionals and decision makers in manufacturing. So register now at resources.red-fern.co.uk slash webinar. That's resources.red-fern.co.uk slash webinar. The link is also in the description. I had a great chat with Fahim Khan, a senior economist at Make UK, which has been a real supporter of the UK manufacturing sector. We talked about the changing perception of the manufacturing industry, the impact of the UK's exit from the EU, and of course the pandemic, and what SMEs can do to scale up, plus the economic forecast for the industry and the wider economy. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. From Redfern Media, this is Remake Manufacturing. My guest this week is Fahim Khan, Senior Economist at Make UK, an organisation that exists to help secure the future growth and development of the UK manufacturing sector. It delivers through a combo of government representation, industry intelligence, networking programmes and business services. So Fahim Khan, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So tell us a little bit more about Make UK. What exactly are you trying to accomplish there? Make UK are well formerly known as Engineering Employers Federation are a one of the biggest trade associations in the UK representing manufacturers. It is run and owned by manufacturers, and its primary objective is to influence government in all policy thinking to ensure that any new or existing policies or regulations that are created are in the best interest of the manufacturing sector. But we're also larger than that. I mean, we offer many specific services to manufacturers, such as education and training for apprentices, key source of skills for our members, legal advice on the employment um, and labor, um, as well as events for external organizations. But policy influence in government is really the bread and butter of our work. Great. And as a senior economist, uh, what's your exact role and responsibility? So in a nutshell, I sit in a much wider policy team. In that team, we have policy managers, we have people in press, we have people who keep relationships with government contacts, and we have people running campaigns. As one of the economists in that team, my role is essentially to develop the evidence uh, that we use behind any argument or recommendations that we make to government. That really just means working on data. But to give you an example, very recently during the pandemic, which is obviously quite a tumultuous year for manufacturers, we collected a lot of data from our members, from manufacturers all across the UK on how they were struggling to deal with the situation almost a year ago now and the the, the the, length, the level of redundancies that they were looking to make. At the time, the government was looking to cut the job retention scheme. And we were quite influential in that, getting that extended by using the evidence that we built up with our members on actually what would be the risk of not extending the JRS. So that's to give you kind of a recent example, but that's the type of work we do saying, you know, if you make this decision today, then this is the kind of effect it will have. And my role is to be essentially the foundation on that argument, like, Every fact you make is not a fact until you have some statistics behind it. Wow. So no pressure on you then? No, no, no. And how would you describe the state of the manufacturing sector in the UK today? What would you say are the most pressing challenges? Manufacturing in the UK 
has changed drastically over the last two decades, I would say. It's today, it's, I would describe it as more high tech, more specialized, very high skill and increasingly much more digitalized. But many of the issues that they face are actually unchanged from the issues that manufacturers faced almost two decades ago. I mean, it includes things like accessing skills, difficulties in trading goods overseas, accessing finance to invest and grow. And more recently, and perhaps this is a bit of a new priority for manufacturers, is supply chain challenges and building resilience because the pandemic definitely exposed some vulnerabilities within the manufacturing sector. But the issues haven't changed, at least the fundamental ones, for many, many years. We still continue to see those issues today. All of these are areas that we at Make UK are focused on supporting and influencing government on. Well, let's take um, skill shortages first. Um, that's been an issue for a long time, as you say. What measures have been working that you've seen and what else do we need to try to be more effective? The thing with manufacturing, I think it's worth putting a little bit of context in skills. Businesses often require the highest end of knowledge and expertise. So skills like very niche um, technical engineering, programming, designing, I guess you could call it in, in a phrase peak of skills is required by manufacturers in the UK. So producing high quality people with these skills is quite expensive and can take many, many years to do so. And what has happened over the last couple of decades is that there's been a shortage of these skills being produced from the current education system. Um, manufacturers rely heavily on apprentices to get their need to fill their needs we play a key role in actually supporting that but it's not easy but we do know of solutions that do exist i wanted to talk about one of these solutions because i think it goes quite under the radar but it's something that we're trying to raise a profile of because it has been around for a while something called knowledge transfer partnerships or for short in ktp which is essentially where a business applies at a university to get like a phd student um, to come into the business to help them implement, let's say, a specific project. That project could be something innovative. Maybe you're trying to decarbonize a certain process within your business, or you're trying to improve a process um, and make it more efficient. We've had feedback from some businesses or manufacturers in the UK that have actually used this scheme, and they actually were able to attract very high quality people that, you know, I mean, put it in the words of one business, you know, in the last 10 years, he had like zero candidates for a specific vacancy on a programming role and he went through this ktp scheme and he was able to find very high quality candidates phd students who didn't realize that actually their skills can be applied to the manufacturing industry but it's not the scheme itself that i personally find what's interesting about ktps it's actually the process of applying and this is where when we talk about what what has been working and why is that the universities, when you apply, they actually almost hold your hand during the application process. They teach you what you need to do in the forms, you know, what you what kind of projects actually work during the hiring or the recruitment process. They will actually help you find the correct candidate that suits your business's needs. And often what we do find, at least from we have a lot of data that supports this, bureaucratic application processes are often a major barrier to businesses to even convince them to attempt trying out these solutions and schemes and there are plenty of government schemes available but often what we find is it's the unawareness of these schemes that they exist and even when they do exist it's actually difficult to access them and what i like about ktps is actually it's quite easy to access it because of the support behind that so what can we do to actually make other schemes more effective is to really think about actually what makes the current like something like ktp or organizations like innovate uk 
you know, how do we make it as easy as possible for businesses to um, access these schemes? Because maybe the solution isn't new schemes or constantly adding new schemes every year, but perhaps why are they not using the current ones or the existing ones? And that is how we're going to figure out what works and what doesn't work. But we could probably sit here all day and talk about um, skills and how the education system perhaps needs to be uh, modified in order to, to fill that gap. Absolutely. But I mean, that sounds like a, a great solution. And as you say, it's all about just getting the word out and, and making sure there is enough take up. That's right. Exactly. So when it comes to Brexit, uh, everyone's favorite subject, there's lots of regulations that UK manufacturers have to get their heads around now. Um, what new rules are manufacturers typically falling foul of? Mm. Now, just like skills, Brexit is a complicated topic. It's a uh, very, very long document that was signed uh, at the start of January. And we could probably sit here all day just trying to read every single line that has changed <laughs> between the UK and the yes, EU. Yes, please no, please no. We're not going to do that, but I'll pick on a couple of issues that have been highlighted as prominent ones by our members uh, since the start of the year. But before that, I'm just going to set a little bit of context on what's actually changed fundamentally. Before January 2021, the situation when it came to trading goods with the UK, it was as easy to trade with Germany or France as it was to send a good from, let's say, Sheffield to Newcastle in the UK. It was almost as easy as trading within your own country. That's obviously gone now. Um, what has changed um, is that there's an increase in bureaucracy, in filling in paperwork, and, and manufacturers are actually doing this for the first time, uh, at least those that have traded with the EU for many, many years, they're filling in these customs forms, these rules of origin certificates for the very first time. And that is what's been creating significant issues for them. Mm. It's not that the forms themselves are particularly difficult, but it can be quite a lot of manual labor to fill these in. So it has been slowing down the process. To give you an example on rules of origin, which I'm not, uh, I'm not aware if you know what that is, but that is a certificate of origin where you have to essentially declare where your good is from. This can be get quite complicated. I'll give you a hypothetical car, for instance. You might have some of the parts coming from the UK. You might have the wheels coming from Germany. You might have the chassis coming from Poland. Mm -hmm. And you might have the leather seats coming from India. At that point, the tariff that would be applied to that product, you know, you have to decide, is that a British good? Is it a Polish good, a German good, or an Indian good? Um, in the past, manufacturers didn't need to know this answer because quite often the British goods and the EU goods would be combined and you would just say it was an EU good. Mm -hmm. um, but now we have to declare if it's a most uh, prominently a British good, then it could be a tariff that's applied. What we have found, and we did some research on this couple of a uh, couple of months ago, is that at least one in three manufacturers in the UK have never filled in one of these certificates before. And so they just don't know how to do it. And more often than not, rather than learning how to do it, because it is quite a hassle to do, um, they often, even if their products are classified incorrectly, they just pay the tariff that's been applied to their good because it is easier than having to actually um, fill in that form. And so we really need some support in that area. Although over time we have been seeing those issues dissipating a little bit because through trial and error almost, manufacturers seem to be learning how to actually get through this. But it has been a significant contraction in trade compared to where we were before the uh, the start of the year. That's the first thing on goods, but manufacturing is more than just tangible goods. The other side is actually people. So the focus is something that uh, I guess on immigration uh, that goes quite unnoticed. And to give you an analogy, well, it's not really an analogy, it's actually um, the fact 
is that to cut a long story short, you can send somebody on holiday to the EU tomorrow, but you can't send them to work there without a work permit um, right. tomorrow. So that is quite a big challenge. Uh, man, this is a significant problem for manufacturers because um, quite often when you send a, a, a product that you've sold to a customer in the EU, let's say, for example, like a fridge or a washing machine, normally these contracts will have an extra clause in it where if that product breaks down, then you are required to send maintenance or an engineer because you're the only one who's qualified or understands the product enough to repair those goods. In the past, you'd be able to do that tomorrow if your customer in the EU said, look, this thing is I bought from you has broken down. I need you to send an engineer to fix it tomorrow. You could do that quite easily. Now, manufacturers have to plan three, four months in advance um, to make sure that they have a work permit available to do that. But sometimes you, you don't really know when something's going to break down. I mean, at least we don't really make products to break down. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very difficult to prepare for. And so these are some of the issues that we are um, seeing. And quite often, it's just about making sure that businesses are aware of them because quite often what we see is that manufacturers may just not know that that has actually changed. There isn't an easy answer to these problems, but awareness is often perhaps the first step they need to take. Yeah, very complicated. As you say, a lot of handholding really needs to be high on the agenda, but uh, there's a start there. Big tip of the iceberg, though. Um, Moving on to greener pastures, um, figuratively speaking, um, sustainability is high on everyone's agenda these days. So what can the manufacturing industry do to ensure we hit the targets set by the Paris Agreement? That's right. Uh, as you mentioned, it's on everyone's uh, kind of agenda, particularly manufacturing, and it's also on Make UK's agenda for 2022. I think the manufacturing industry has had some bad reputation in the kind of sustainability topic because of its role in being a source of the carbon emissions towards climate change and because it's such an energy intensive industry. But it's also from our perspective, going to be the industry that's probably going to give us the solutions to sustainability, to climate change, to ESG, as we we like to call it, through innovations and decarbonizing and adopting more green practices. There's probably a lot that uh, you you can do outside of just recycling and switching off a light bulb, which is, I guess, everybody knows these, uh, these kind of very basic moves that you can make. But it's, it's, it's the key is innovation. It's manufacturers coming up with ideas on how to become more sustainable and more environmentally friendly. Um, and they do really take these issues seriously. I mean, we've been running some polls with our members over the last couple of uh, weeks now and for like, what are your priorities for 2022 was essentially the kind of the question. And sustainability and, and the environment have come up as a top three priority for most manufacturers. That's not just because they necessarily care about the environment, but they understand that it's an important issue that their customers care about. It's an important issue that their suppliers care about. And they understand that in the environment to remain competitive, those who actually take sustainability seriously are likely to come out on top. And where Make UK comes in in this sort of area is really to understand if there are any policies that actually get in the way of um, allowing manufacturers to do that. And here's an interesting, I guess, a bit of an anecdote is that we've had members who have specifically tried to install uh, solar panels on their factory, but were unable to do so because it results in an increase in their business rates. Mm. Government policies or taxations are never intended to make life more difficult for people, but sometimes they can have unintended consequences, and that is an an intended uh, that is an unintended consequence of business rates. It it does raise government revenue, but it prevents a business who perhaps wants to invest in something that's actually good for the environment 
but they choose not to because of the increase in cost when it's not supposed to do that. So that's that's something that you know we would be lobbying for to make some clarity on that. So that that is, I guess, watch the, watch this space is all I can really say uh, when it comes to those type of issues. Remake Manufacturing is brought to you by Redfern Media, the digital agency for B two B manufacturers. We partner with B two B manufacturers to listen, think, create, and innovate. To find out more, head over to remakemanufacturing.com and sign up to the podcast, plus manufacturing marketing and technology insights. Now, back to the show. Let's move on to manufacturing, uh, the, the image problem that we have. There is a perception that industry is, is dirty and a bit old school in lots of ways, though in fact, there's obviously a lot of advanced technology and modern methods of working, um, but the industry finds it very hard to shift that outdated image. Um, does Make UK have a, a good idea for a way forward on this one? Yes, I would uh, agree with you that some people do feel this way. Um, actually, manufacturers themselves are fully aware that, that this perception does impact them. It affects them when they're trying to recruit young people to join their business. And we actually did some uh, some research a few years ago, and I think you'll find this interesting. Where it was around the perceptions of manufacturing in the UK, where we asked the general public in a poll where they thought the manufacturing industry in the UK in terms of the value and size ranked in the world. Um, the most common answer that we got from that survey was 57th in the world, um, which at the time, the correct answer for 57th was, I think, Kazakhstan. Mm. Um, but actually, the UK, in terms of value of output, at least in the most recent data, and it has been so for the last three or four years, is that it ranks ninth in the world. Um, so it's a top 10 nation when it comes to manufacturing output. But the issue here is that people necessarily didn't know that that it's such a valuable industry in the uk and this is perhaps maybe a, a pr issue so it's really about getting the the pr correct it's about sharing the positive stories it's about making the industry well known when it comes to how high tech it is and I, like you mentioned it's very high tech it's more technologically advanced than we realize technologies like 3d printing artificial intelligence internet of things you know all these kind of fancy terms they're all fundamentally at the beginning were designed by probably manufacturers and they were designed for manufacturing. And hence part of the reason why we struggle for skills is because actually the type of skills manufacturers are looking for is like all these software and programming skills. Um, I think in addition to that, there is also a bit of a common misconception about work-life balance, which I think affects um, the people side of things. It's assumed that people, it's, it's not just like dirty and, grummy but also that people work long hours or they do night shifts which still do happen in some instances but it's just not as common as people think in fact it's very reasonable and almost comparable to jobs in other industries like services we did a recent study on mental health um, on manufacturing in the industry and we have found that many many manufacturers in the uk take mental health and well-being very seriously when it comes to their employees the main difference perhaps this is a bit of a new issue that what didn't exist before is that it is harder to work from home if you're an engineer which is uh, something that is not easy for easily easily affordable for the manufacturing sector as the services sector can do and we know that there's been a bit of a shift in the mindset of people in society where work from home should be almost uh, perhaps a right for people as well although manufacturers have have embraced work from home in their own way so they're kind of they also have like finance professionals hr professionals legal professionals in their business these jobs where it's possible to work from home they have embraced that which indicates to us that manufacturers very it's easy for them to actually embrace the modern approach of work practices 
you know, get really involved with new technologies, to to be at the forefront of technology and innovation and cutting edge technology. And I just wanted to finish up on, I think, the last thing that I wanted to say is that people often don't realize how well paid the industry is. I mean, the average UK salary is about, I think, £29,000. And that average is uh, dragged up quite a bit because of London. Whilst the average manufacturing salary is about £35,000 a year. Um, this is a mean across the UK. Mm. And that's due to many regions of the UK outside of London actually paying quite well in manufacturing. So it really, if you're not going to work in finance, the best place to be perhaps is probably in manufacturing because it's a well-paid industry. It's cutting edge. It's at the front of all technological advancements. It's where all the inventions happen. And really the main thing we can do is to just continuously talk about it, to highlight those positive stories the things that they're creating i mean manufacturers were at the front of dealing with the issues of the pandemic they created the ppes they made the hand sanitizers you know the pharmaceutical industry invented the vaccines like these are all manufacturers who were getting that done and i think that's often overlooked so we just need to i guess push forward these uh these stories in front Absolutely. And I mean, you mentioned that exciting cutting edge and the the manufacturers that are really kind of pushing and adapting uh, to the new environment, but not everyone uh, is so flexible. What would you say to the manufacturers who are struggling to adapt to new technology and automation, especially what can be done to help them come up to speed? Yeah, I mean, there are several issues and we often find the issues is the disparity between small and larger firms. That's not to say that small firms don't at least have an interest in adopting technologies, but they do face significant challenges along the way. The most common one is usually cost. Uh, Manufacturing is very capital intensive. And in order to automate a process, first you need to decide what it is that you're automating, as it might not be an entire process. It might just be a piece of a process that you're automating. And in most cases, the investment required to make that jump can be astronomical for a small firm to make. what can we do about that? I think it's, again, it's also partly related to a perception issue here. I think it's about making small firms or small and medium-sized businesses to understand that technology isn't just for the big boys. It's not just for the large firms. It can be beneficial to you as well. And to get over that sort of cost hump, I mean, this this almost relates back to the K2P example that I mentioned. I mean, there's plenty of uh, sources available to access financing and investment. I mean, there are institutions like the British Business Bank or Innovate UK. Um, and perhaps it's just to try to take a risk on like accessing that finance or trying to understand, you know, what works for you. And maybe we can do a little bit of work on actually that handholding aspect that I mentioned with the KTP. I mean, I know that maybe manufacturers don't necessarily like their hands to be held because they like to do things themselves, but it's, I think it's okay to accept help in areas that you might not be an expert in. And so perhaps like really go for these things. But the perception issue is really the first hump you need to get over. You need to understand that if you're a small business and you're struggling to keep up with the pace of technological advancements in large businesses, that technology can still work for you you can make small changes but you can also make large changes but it's not just for big businesses it works for you too Mm, absolutely Uh, let's come back to the the pandemic then Uh, we've seen many new businesses uh, setting up but manufacturers have a very different set of challenges to other sectors Uh, for example online businesses um, completely different set of challenges what would you say are the key challenges for new and growing uk manufacturers um, yeah, history shows us that normally after a crisis or a, uh, a recession, um, normally there are a, a an abundance or increase in startups being produced in a country. 
because people lose their jobs or they decide they want to take on something new. And so they you know, they, they, they new businesses start up. And we expect to see that happening even now once we come out of the pandemic. And many of these uh, businesses will face challenges when they attempt to expand some of these issues we highlighted at the very beginning of our conversation with the skills and the finance and the investment. And the problems I think faced by manufacturing, as you mentioned, compared to like online businesses are slightly more unique. Um, manufacturing is very tangible. They require physical space to produce their goods and due to the capital intensiveness of the industry, normally the upfront financing required to even just start up uh, a new production process, so that is getting all your machines together, getting the right people in to, to operate those machines, producing your first prototype good. It can be astronomical amounts of money required just to get over that first hump. Because um, once you do that, you know, perhaps it's a little bit easier to continue producing once you've got something right. But it's that first hurdle that's really um, a significant barrier. And that is a combination of finance that is, and skills and just having the expertise um, which makes it less attractive for investors to give you any support because it is more risky as a venture in manufacturing, unlike something like, let's say, Uber or Amazon or uh, a software companies. You know, it, I guess these things are quite sexy nowadays. They're quite innovative. It's cool, and you can expand them almost endlessly. Um, I like to think of the internet as being a bit like the universe where it's kind of never-ending, um, continuously expanding and getting bigger. It's not necessarily like that. It actually has limited amount of space, but you can think of it as a never-ending space, whereas manufacturers need physical land, which is not getting larger. Mm. Um, so those are issues there. There are some other issues that perhaps startups face that maybe it's more established SMEs don't face. To give you an example of that, you could have an engineer who's starting a new company who may be really, really good at what they do. And that's the reason they're even starting a company in the first place. They could be good at designing something, a certain type of product, or they have this new invention in mind, but they don't necessarily have the expertise and all that other stuff that's important to running a business, like understanding, let's say, the legal side. Does your product comply with safety standards in the UK and wherever else you want to export? The HR process, if you're hiring people, you have certain obligations to your employees and they have obligations to you. The finance side, do you know what your obligations are when it comes to taxation and, and, and filling in your audits and that sort of thing? It's not easy to grow a business if you don't have those skills or if you don't have a team of people that can support you or you don't have a network of people that can provide those skills for you. And so as you grow, those challenges tend to change over time. I mean, the skills issue becomes more about not just finding technicians, but also about finding managers and leadership skills. Uh, as you grow to become larger, accessing finance goes from trying to get seed money from initial investors to actually getting much larger pools of finance because you want to expand your business into diversifying or a new product or getting a new machine to, to, to advance your process or that sort of thing. And even exporting, there are, I mean, if anything, we've gone slightly backwards when it comes to exporting. So we've created additional barriers there. We are currently doing some research at Make UK on the kind of the SME area and the barriers faced to growth. I would say maybe keep an eye out for that for any of your listeners. Um, we're looking to publish something maybe in a couple of months time, which is going to really highlight the challenges businesses face when it comes to growing their business. So these are for businesses who have the ambition to become like the size of a Uber or an Amazon. You know, these are like, you know, I'm a small business now, but I want to be that big someday. You know, what 
barriers do they face, um, but also to highlight the specific differences that are in manufacturing that you wouldn't find in, let's say, as you mentioned earlier, in an online business, you know, what are the specific characteristics that actually makes manufacturing unique, and therefore the support for that industry needs to be a little bit more unique. Well, maybe you can tease a little bit of what, what's coming in that report. Part of your job is to keep a close eye on UK manufacturing data. So what trends have been most interesting to you for the growth of the sector? Of course, being an economist, I can't just talk about SMEs all day. I have to talk a lot about statistics and the UK economy and the macro side and that sort of thing. We have a quarterly uh, manufacturing outlook, which is a survey that we run every three months um, towards our, to our members. Um, we ask them questions on a specific series of metrics like your output, your orders, your employment, um, your plans to invest in the future. Are you increasing your prices? How are your margins being affected? And we try to like draw a picture of whether all these indicators are increasing or decreasing um, quarter and quarter so we can give you a sense of like the economic direction that the industry is moving. So that's to give you an idea of the type of data we collect. When the pandemic started, we saw this humongous crash in the industry. Not surprising, but uh, was an unfortunate time where output and orders declined significantly, manufacturing institutions were closing down, um, but then we were all dealing with a pandemic for the very first time. Skip almost nine or 10 months ahead, and from the start of this year, what we have seen is this real uh, turnaround from the industry. The, the UK sort of came out from lockdown, manufacturers started trading again, and what we've seen from our surveys, the output and new orders have been expanding at unprecedented rates, almost shockingly unprecedented. Um, not that surprising, although the surprising part was how quickly that bounce back has come because we were always expecting this re rebound effect to take place eventually, perhaps in 2022. Um, but somehow the manufacturers have been able to proceed and ahead much, much earlier than anticipated. This is partly down to the increase in demand that they have achieved. I mean, the demand has almost been shocking for businesses. Um, I mean, it's not just from the UK, but it's from other countries as well. Um, and we have seen investment intentions. So these are my plans to invest in capital and machinery and new technologies over the next 12 months being the highest it's ever been um, in our survey history, which started in, I think, 1998. So it's, a, it's been a long time and we've had the highest investment intention. So it's really positive. We're very enthusiastic about what we're seeing manufacturing as an industry doing right now, although there are some differences from different subsectors, so from like automotives, which is facing some additional challenges when it comes to shortages of electrical components. Um, we have revised our growth forecasts. We think that manufacturing as an industry is probably gonna grow around about 7% this year. We think the UK GDP will also kind of grow just about just above that, about 7.3% this year. And our forecasts at, at its current trajectory indicate that manufacturing as a, in terms of value of output will return to its pre-pandemic size uh, by mid-2022. So that is our current expectations. There are some caveats to that with the issue with inflation and supply disruptions. And and, and, and of course, there's the issue with labor shortages, which is becoming more prominent over the last couple of weeks now. And of course, we know that there are issues with logistics, with lorry drivers missing from the UK market, which are making business doing difficult. And these things are slowing that growth down. But it seems that manufacturers are moving ahead anyway and they're doing really really well so we're very impressed with what we've seen so far 
Well, it's good to end with good news, even even with those caveats, as you uh, say. One final question. Uh, I'd like to just end the show the same way we do every week by asking our guests to tell us the one invention that if it was never manufactured, your life would be unbearable. What could you not live without? You know, this is a really interesting question because from one moment you can think of so many different things and then the next moment you almost can't think of anything because there's just too <laughs> many things that uh, that you could cover. I've settled on one product, but to be honest, in my mind, there's a bit of a, a debate going on between multiple things right now, but I've settled on a toothbrush. Um, ah, okay. I don't think I could live without having to, or at least without the means to keep my teeth clean every single morning because I tend to eat a lot of junk food. I tend to consume <laughs> a lot of uh, soft drinks. And it it is, I mean, even if you didn't do that stuff, you know, not not taking care of your, your teeth is perhaps the most, uh, is a risky move for a person, I think, until when it comes to health and well-being. So that's an interesting one. I could have said the electric toothbrush as well, I suppose, but then that's again a highlight of manufacturing, not just invention, but improvement. I was going to ask, I was going to ask what your runner up was, but there we go. So um, I think we can all agree whether you're meeting people in the real world or you're, or you're on Zoom, um, clean teeth, absolutely necessary just to make you feel like you can make it through the day. Absolutely. All it leaves me to do now is say thanks to my guest, Fahim Khan. Uh, great chatting to you. It was amazing. Thank you very much. Subscribe to this podcast in all the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, and Google Music. Thanks for listening to this edition of Remake Manufacturing. I'm Stuart Black. See you next time.